When was the last time you played? Oh, well, that's easy. I played yesterday. <laughs> we had a diversity, equity, and inclusion training with uh, an organization in Las Vegas. And included in that training, surprisingly, for diversity, equity, and inclusion was a lot of games. So mm -hmm. I did that about 24 hours ago. <laughs> Fantastic. Welcome to Lead with a Dash of Play. Here we talk about the how and why of reclaiming playfulness as adults in order to build more connected, innovative, and human-centered workspaces. Isn't that what leadership is all about? I'm your host, Mary Hendra. Let's play. My guest today is Jay Guilford. Jay came to my attention with the way he talks about leadership in team building, how he does DEI work, and because of his career journey. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jay. Hey, Mary, thanks for inviting me. We're going to come back to the equity work because I want to find out a lot more about that. But I want to start with your own background a little bit, because you joined a circus. Oh, I kind of did. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because when I, I talk on a lot of, I speak on a lot of podcasts and, you know, I have done a lot of things. I've at CoWorks, my organization, I've, we worked with Procter & Gamble, the Empire State Building, R&R Partners, a bunch of big box name brand organizations. And yet people always ask me about the bunch of clowns I worked with at Cirque <laughs> So I'm like, I, there was the Empire State Building, there was Disney, but it always goes back to circus. And I guess it's appropriate because we're talking about play, right? So I should right. say a bit about the circus. Okay. All right, Mary, I will indulge the audience. <laughs> uh, long ago at a land far, far away, I ran away with Cirque du Soleil. And the kind of shiniest thing I did at Cirque du Soleil was developing their corporate leadership training program. And what we did was we taught organizations collaboration, communication, and trust through team building activities, we strapped executives and their teams in Cirque du Soleil apparatuses and flew them high across the Cirque du Soleil skies. Those would be the theaters and training room. Yeah, so instead of talking about collaboration, communication, and trust in a boardroom, they actually experienced it by, you know, flying across right. the air, doing clowning activities, putting, you know, getting on the stage and getting in production and actually performing together as a team, yeah. What do you find is the impact on leaders after having participated in this kind of a play activity with their team? Honestly, it's uh, humbling and it's level setting. I can tell you okay. one particular story from a session we had. We had um, a, a group from a Fortune 500 company come and we had a bunch of CEOs as a part of the group. We had from CEOs to coordinators. And, uh, you know, some of the leaders, they always ask this. They say, well, should I participate or should I watch? I'm like, no, you got to jump in there. Yeah. And then as soon as they jumped in there on the stage, their CEO-ness didn't really matter. It wasn't a superpower anymore. What was a superpower was the extrovert who, you know, worked uh, in the back end of stuff or the coordinator who was once a gymnast or the person <laughs> who could really sing who no one ever knew was maybe... Uh, you know, just uh, yeah. an assistant or an EA. So um, for us with leaders, uh, the play space is the great 
equalizer. I would say playing is the great equalizer and participation is the great equalizer. And humble leaders understand that. And when they enter the space and they see all the strengths of their group, they first of all, they uncover that a lot of people have talents that you have yet mm-hmm. to tap into. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. A lot of people have talents that you got to dig a little deeper to tap into. And secondly, there are a lot of superpowers and your position is not necessarily a superpower. You are not the head of the team. You are a member of the team who has more purview. So that's what comes up for leaders. This element of of really seeing people in a different way, letting uh, letting not status or or position define who has voice in the room, but really looking for learning pe- about people in a different way does bring me back to this equity work that you do, because it sounds very much like some of the goals of DEI work, right? To see people, to see people, to give people yes. space and yes. and room to have their voice. How do you see that? Why do you bring play into what many people think of as be- being very serious of equity work? Oh, Mary, you must have been at that training yesterday. <laughs> Because this is exactly what we discussed. So quick story. So we had a training yesterday and we asked a a group, we said, uh, well, what are you, you know, like, what should you get from this? And people listed things. They were like, we should do this. We should do this. And a bunch of folks said, we should take this seriously. We should take this seriously. And I had to pause and say, you should engage deeply and you should be intentional about what you want to get. It doesn't have to be serious. We've actually created this to be interactive and fun. So with the most serious of topics, what we found in our work, again, working across a wide range of industries, Fortune 100s and mom and pop shops. (laughs) So we found no matter what it is, if you can approach it with intention, but a sense of ease and, and sometimes a sense of play, it actually makes it helpful for you to understand and to solve the problem. So with DEI, what's really important is to not beat up on yourself or judge yourself or enter it if you are a person in a dominant group, like if you're a man or a white person or if you're straight, don't enter it with this sense of guilt or fear or someone's out to get me. If you enter it with an element of ease and I dare say play, then you get a lot more out of it. I'm curious how you create these spaces that are safe for play. And and the reason why I'm asking this, I'm thinking about times when uh, as a woman in a space, I felt more safe or less safe being open, being playful. You know, there are times where it felt more risky for me because of the the culture or the, the structure. But I have this picture of what you're doing with the whole team in there. And, and I, I, how do you do that? How do you create it? So it challenges those power structures really that might be embedded in a culture. Well, that's a good question. Um, and the first thing that we do at CoWorks and our activities is that you don't really have time to think <laughs> because uh, <laughs> one, it's all interactive. So uh, yeah. I entered Mary, I have to tell you, I entered diversity, equity, and inclusion training, kicking and screaming. I didn't want to do it. I'm a Black American man. People can't see it, but I'm a Black American man. Mary can attest to this. And it felt like such a cliche after doing all of this leadership and behavioral assessments and this high level stuff. I was like, DEI is such a cliche. But I entered it because I saw that the space could benefit from a sense of play. So Mm -hmm. what we do to break down those barriers is that there are a lot of activities. 
from the start. People start talking from the start. There's um, competitive activities. There's dynamic and act activities where you learn DEI concepts and terms. There's click and play apps. There's scoreboards. Um, there's also reflections and there's scenarios, but all of it is grounded in a sense of engagement and interactivity. So sometimes people are so busy thinking about how to win the game or getting the right yeah. answer that they forget that they're also learning about cultural appropriation or inequity or ableism yeah. or adultism or heterosexism. Um, so, and then we ground those with interesting, very interesting examples. And um, for us at CoWorks, all of it is all original. So you've never played these activities before. So mm. when people come in, they can't roll their eyes and say, I've done this before. Cause I said, you've never played the opposite game cause we just created it this year. You've never played Find It because we just created it this year. So to answer your question, to break down the structures, first of all, there's a lot of interaction. Second of all, you don't really have time to think. Third, thirdly, all of the activities are all original. And what I do that's most important, what I do, especially for corporate teams and executives, um, where this can be sometimes very sensitive, depending on the group, I use myself as an example. I mm. talk about all of the ways that I failed sometimes with my male privilege, you know, I, I yeah. use myself as an example to talk about my brushes with biases so that it makes it safe for others to share what they've done well and what they're struggling with. Yeah, uh, that's so important because it's part of being human, right? That sometimes yes. we fail. Yeah, yeah. I probably failed like two days ago if I <laughs> think back to it. We all, <laughs> all the time. Failure leads to success. What is that balance of the seriousness of being a leader and the playfulness that can bring teams together and bring out your personality? I think having led teams and having led leaders of teams, I think seriousness should be uh, X'd from the vocabulary, honestly, because seriousness to me has barred leaders from tapping into their emotional intelligence in order to solve problems oh. that are high stakes. So I would use other words or high stakes or, you know, um, uh, uh, that's probably the better word. Like this is really high stakes in terms, this is uh, at stakes is a lot of money or uh, a strategic partnership. So those are more exact words because nothing's really so serious. It's not really yeah. life and death unless you're dealing with life and death. It's not really that. Yeah. So first of all, I would bar that. Secondly, for us, we've learned that people learn through engagement, mm -hmm. which for us, we make playful. So for you and I, Mary, I would say play. For organizations, I talk more about engagement and interactivity, and okay. I might use the word fun. Um, okay. Yeah, because people, you know, play just feels maybe to some organizations like, oh, I can't be paying you to come and play with us. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, does play have a branding issue? Yeah, it does. We need to work on that. Well, that's another podcast. Yeah. Uh, and I first started this, I'm like, maybe we just need to redefine play. But there, yeah. there are a lot of connotations around play. Exactly. And it feels childish. You know, that's yeah. what people understand. So engagement, what we talk about is engagement and learning through doing. We talk about experiential learning because that yeah. feels, and for us, that's more exactly what it is. And it just so happens that we gamify a bunch of stuff and it is also very playful. So yeah. Yeah. The connotations around play are quite significant. As longtime listeners know, 
When I started this podcast, it really was fueled by my own curiosity. I wondered if I wasn't being taken seriously as a leader, given my embodiment of joy. Earlier this season, we heard Neil Doshi identify that the research actually shows that having a sense of play is the most significant factor in high performance. We heard Jeff Harry talk about toxic masculinity in leadership, and in contrast, the role of play in the divine feminine. And throughout this podcast, we've learned from bold female leaders who have made significant impact in their fields and who embody playfulness in their approach to leadership. Michelle Lee as an environmental advocate, Bridget Quigg and Kathy Clote's guest as they work with leaders and teams, Amy Clymer as she cultivates creativity in teams, and Jocelyn Brady in her application of brain science. Really, each one of my guests in one way or another. And yet, despite the research, there is still often this feeling that play does not have a place at work. I asked Jay about this. Yeah, I mean, I would say, uh, and I don't know if this is true for you, I would say I was resistant to play. That word, yeah. uh, I, you know, I'm up until maybe seven or eight years ago, I would have been like, oh, don't call it play, call it all these other, you know, <laughs> highfalutin academic things. Like that's yeah. that's going to make me sound good on my resume. Let me use experiential learning, you know, yeah. <laughs> that sounds better than play. Yeah, yeah, that definitely is true for me too. If you had a different term you would use instead of play, you've used engagement within it. Are there other ways that you would redefine play? You know, the word, um, two words that I use a lot are interactive and fun. Because that 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 kind of encapsulates play. It's interactive yeah. and it's going to be fun. And I also say interact, interactive, dynamic, and fun because that's what play really is. Um, yeah. I have, honestly, Mary, I have rarely used play in the forward-facing materials that go to clients yeah. because, you know, it's just in terms of corporate America, I think it... Um, note something that's childish and what you do and what I do is really not childish. It's really actually very advanced uh, leadership and training theory. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine given the range of companies that you have worked with and that some have a little bit more of a playful culture and some maybe not. um, What do you, what have you seen helps a company like, adopt a little bit more fun, a little bit more engagement or a lot more engagement? What I've seen, the number one strategy, I'm giving this to maybe people inside of organizations who want to include play, maybe there's some other other trainers listening, is to be intentional about the language and intentional about uh, the purpose. So Mm -hmm. what has happened where it's failed with organizations is where you say, I think play is important, let's play. And you have these gratuitous getting to know you activities Mm -hmm. that have little to do with the purpose of the gathering. We have all been stood in a circle, given a ball and been told to toss it and say each other's name as a getting to know you activity. What did you get to know besides someone else's name? We've all played people bingo a thousand times, but okay, you like broccoli and you like cauliflower. What did you get to know? So it has to be meaningful to getting to know you and it has to be meaningful to the larger framework. 
So right. the reason, again, I entered a lot of these spaces kicking and screaming, but I entered it because I was like, oh, that doesn't work. So what we what is important and what we do and what other organizations should do is create all original activities from the core of the topic. So when we do diversity, equity, and inclusion, we have the opposites game, for example, and we have read between the signs. Those are fun getting to know you activities. And then after you play those games, we talk about what it means for DEI. And then you're like, oh, it also has a meaning? That's even <laughs> better. It's like watching yeah. a Marvel movie because it also has really good writing and a really good plot. 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 Can yeah. I say the word plot? Has a really good plot. It's not just about the action. So that's yeah. when it has to be meaningful and not gratuitous. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I've seen people or companies think like, okay, okay, so we go away, we do this retreat or we do this like special facilitated activity, uh, but it's so easy to fall back into other patterns when we get back to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I think because of the changes, the dramatic changes we've had in the workplace, yeah. people now must consider how to do it differently. I, I know you've yeah. probably heard the whole conversation about forced fun. Have you heard of? Yeah, I have. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I've been there. I've experienced that where I'm like, oh no, this is definitely forced and not fun. Yeah, exactly. So organizations are thinking about how to do it differently. And this is not a plug for you or I or anybody you work with, Mary, yeah. or I work with, but it is helpful to bring someone in from the outside who has done this successfully across a wide range of industries so that you can do it right. Because right now what's at stake is um, your employee engagement and those high performers. You know, people are leaping from yeah. job to job. Um, I, you know, I coach executives who are moving and I've had one executive I've coached. This person, he's moved three times in the last two years, doubled his salary twice. <laughs> Because yeah. the organizations aren't engaging. So you need to do it differently because what's at stake are those high level performers who know they can go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How has play affected your own leadership? Well, you know, Mary, we were talking about this earlier. It sounds in my voice and it sounds from my resume that I just started this stuff and I was a very playful person. I was not. <laughs> I was not. I was not a very playful person. Like I was a great student. I'm an excellent academic. You know, I, you know, I went to all the schools with all the name brands. So if you look at my bio, you'll see that I learned mostly through reading and writing. So I learned yeah. how to, let me tell you how I learned how to swim. I wanted to swim um, when I was, I think it was, I was in seventh grade. So I went to the library. I got a book about treading water. I read it and I jumped in the pool and I treaded the water. And I, that's how I learned. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm one of those people who can translate the abstract into, um, into a skill. And when I, over the course of my evolution as a trainer, as a trainer of educators and the trainer of executives and executive teams, I realized that training has to be interactive because that's the only way that people learn. Like even when I read the book about swimming, I still had to jump into the water. So right. that's why I use the term experiential learning. And that's why I use the term engagement as a shortcut term for play, because yeah. people have to experience the concepts and they have to be engaged and interact with each other in order to understand it. You have, you cook by cooking, you fall in love by falling in love. You learn how to deal with heart by learn how you learn how to, you know, use a spreadsheet by using a spreadsheet. So you have to do it. So um, yeah. I was not a playful person and I am now, obviously 
I, I used play because I saw that it was the most effective means to learn. It just is. Yeah. Have you seen any pitfalls of bringing, bringing a sense of play into, into the work world or into the training? Have you had any play fails where you're like, Ooh, like, let me recover from that. Um, like what, what's that side of it look like? Well, yes, I have. Um, and I, very early in my career, uh, we at, uh, out at Cirque du Soleil, you know, I was at Cirque du Soleil for many years and we had a group from a Fortune 100 company and we had not planned appropriately. And we were like, oh, we'll just take them into one of the fancy theaters, show them all the bells and whistles, and they will be mesmerized. But because we failed as a team to choreograph the learning experience, it fell flat. And then immediately after, we this is how it worked. The, the Fortune 100, these folks sat down, the executives, and they were watching us show them things about the stage. Two minutes in, they were mesmerized. Five minutes in, they were like, ah. And then 10 minutes into like the whole thing, they were like looking around, rolling their eyes. 15 minutes in, they were looking at their watches. 30 minutes in, they were texting, possibly each other or possibly reviews. And what they te were texting wasn't good. And yeah. an hour later, they stormed out. They were completely bored. So where it fails and where also the, the, the way that it can succeed is if it's not choreographed, it will fail. It must be highly choreographed. Um, we see this especially with virtual sessions. When organizations fail to choreograph, like how do they get the worksheets? How do you bring them into the polling? How do you get them out of this platform into that one? It can fall flat. When you have a high level of choreography virtually or in person, it succeeds. So very early on when I felt, I and my team, I take full responsibility of it. When I and my team fell flat on our faces because I thought, oh, it's Cirque du Soleil, bring them into a theater. It's gonna be amazing. Immediately after that, we knew, and I know everything is highly choreographed, highly, yeah. highly choreographed. So there's that preparation of choreography, all the logistics. I imagine like if you've done it well, then it's almost invisible to people. And it's been a lot of preparation. Yes. Are there other ways that you find you personally need to prepare yourself to be able to create that space of, of playfulness and of engagement? Yes, there. Um, I think depending on the group, you, as you said, I've worked with a wide range of groups and some industries, not even the people, the industries are just more conservative, conservative than others. Like someone might say financial tech, I've worked with financial tech groups. Someone might say, I'm not saying it folks, someone might say that FinTech is more conservative than let's say entertainment groups. Yeah. Someone might say that. I've worked with all ranges of them. So what I do as a facilitator and what I do when I train other facilitators is that I help them calibrate the level of engagement and insight and excitement to the group. So we go from, we say, uh, game show host, <laughs> uh, talk show host, daytime host, talk show host, and newscaster. So oh. newscaster would be the most conservative. Game show host would be the most exciting. <laughs> so... <laughs> So you just have to understand from the group what they expect, because for some groups, if they're very conservative and you come in super hot as a game show host, then it's just going to fall flat because it's yeah. going to feel childish to them. On the con yeah. converse, 
if you have a group that is super duper playful, we did something with Google, they're super duper playful. And so we went full fledged, you know, <laughs> and it, it hit the mark. Yeah. The way you do that is quite simply when you're onboarding the client in that kickoff meeting, you ask them, what have you done before? What has been the reception? What has worked? What has failed? I go through the agenda. We have a we have a really budget-friendly pre-packaged DEI agenda. That's pretty, it's kind of standard. And it's it not, I don't say it's standard. It's amazing, folks. It's not standard. It's amazing, but it is, <laughs> it is syndicatable. So it kind of is, yeah. these are the things we can do. Yeah. I always pass it by the client and walk them through it and say, what on here do you think might fail with your group? And mm. then I explain what it would be. And then oftentimes they say, oh, now I understand that. There have been a few times when people have said, oh, let's take that out. I can tell you 100% that's not going to work with our group. So just asking the client is, you know, or if you're inside of an organization before you launch into some fun that might be forced fun, do a survey, ask the team members what they want to do. Yeah. Don't hide the ball. Just ask them. When I think about play and how it intersects with work, my thinking of it is that there's there's almost two manifestations. There's one that is external, that helps us build teams. It's how we interact and engage with each other, which you've talked a lot about. That's a lot of where your focus is. For me personally, I also find that there are times when like a quiet sense of play, you know, drawing, doing something that is perhaps more internal, but at least, you know, more individual also is helpful for me to center myself and to release some of the pressure. And I'm curious whether that resonates with you, whether that's something you've seen or you've you know, coached others through. I would say uh, uh, included in that, Mary, is being authentic to your true self. I would mm -hmm. expand it a bit more because uh, in a lot of organizations, thinking of diversity, equity, and inclusion in a lot of organizations, uh, there are, it can be a very playful organization like a Google or a Cirque du Soleil or a Zappos. Yeah. And then even inside of that, there are some people who are authentically not playful, but they can be great individual contributors. So for yourself, first of all, you want to understand what uh, learning or contribution uh, avenue is best for you. And that could very well be play. Um, what we've also seen, just to put it through a DEI lens, is that you might have people who are great individual contributors, but for example, they may be um, highly um, uh, introverted, or they may be on the autistic spectrum. Um, so if you're autistic, then depending on how it manifests, you may not be reading verbal cues, or you may not be reading uh, social cues, and you don't necessarily, depending on how it manifests, you don't necessarily understand puns or jokes. You can be a great individual contributor, but you're not going to be joking in the break room. You're not going to want to go into the break room. So you want to build a space. First of all, for yourself, you want to understand authentically who you are and how you best contribute and interact. And then as an organization, you want to build a space where as much as possible, every individual contributor has what they need. It can be who they are. And, and sometimes that's playful and sometimes that might not be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You gave me a little sneak preview of something that you're building that centers uh -huh. around the performing arts. And I wonder if you could share more about that. 
Share the sneak preview. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I can. And it's actually up on our website. Uh, we're launching in 2023 so people can reach out. It is called Art Work Group. It's uh, team building through the power of performing arts. So what we've done is that we've gathered performers from Marvel, Stomp, Cirque du Soleil, Broadway, and a bunch of other places. And we take those, we take five of those team members, including, and a fortune 500 facilitator, me or a couple of other people. So you get 16 members. We fly out to you. So you don't have to, you know, you don't have to fly 40 people to us. And then uh, half day or full day, we take you through performing arts challenges. Uh, and then you perform together. And depending yeah. on how it's structured, in addition to taking you through the performing arts and performing together, we're recording it the whole time. So the so you get kind of a documentary of your day together. And it can just be fun and games. And it also can be help you learn collaboration, communication, trust, healthy risk-taking, trying, failing, and then trying again and then succeeding. Because people say <laughs> fail fast, but we say you try, you fail, but then you also succeed. So, um, you know, when we've done this before, it's gotten really huge responses. Uh, and now, you know, it's uh, a great time when you have those remote workers or when you're planning retreats, you can pop it in as a part of your day. <laughs> so, so I have to be honest that there's a bit of that 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 would kind of terrify me to participate. <laughs> <laughs> um, how would you um, how would you work with someone like me to not be terrified? Well, there's a couple of things. One, depending on since we come to you, it's going to be in a space that you're, the team's familiar with. So, okay. like, it doesn't necessarily have to be on a stage, but we can get a stage for you. Uh, it can be in a large break room or your auditorium. So that is going to be familiar, first of all. Okay. We have put people on stages. It doesn't have to be that. And then secondly, because it's so interactive from the very start, you're engaging these activities that warm you up. We don't just say, go perform. You get warmed up with these all original activities. And the, the artist, there's one guy we work with, Marcus Weiss uh, and Alan Medina. Those are the two uh, folks that we're working with now. Um, so they are uh, so skilled at getting you right out there. Alan Medina was yeah. a performer with uh, America's Got Talent, So You Think You Can Dance and uh, Cirque du Soleil. And um, so he can get you to, I, I, I'm not a great dancer and he, he got me to do stuff. So they get you warmed up and you're interacting so quickly <laughs> that you don't even think about being terrified. And um, there's no, it's a space where there's no judgment. There's no judgment. Yeah. Everyone's trying something new. Yeah. And, and, and you don't post the bloopers afterwards, right? We don't, you, <laughs> you can't post the bloopers. We do not. You can if you would like, we do not. Yeah. The, the arc, the documentary that you get goes directly to you and your team. Uh, we don't have to record it if you don't want, but most people like that. It goes directly to you and your team and you can do whatever you want with it. Yeah. If people want to connect with you further, what are the best ways to connect? Oh, well, you can connect with me via, uh, just call, email me. Uh, I was going to say call me, but email me <laughs> at j at coworkslead.com. That's J-A-Y at coworkslead.com. Or you can visit our website at www.coworkslead.com. Thank you for that. Could you leave our listeners with one invitation to play at work? Oh, I thought about this one a lot. And I'm pulling out my sheet because I... If you can hear that, because I wrote it down. Actually, <laughs> this is something you can do with your team virtually or in person. And this will be a lot of fun. You can do show and tell. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. You can ask uh, team members to bring in an object or show an object virtually, uh, an article of clothing, 
PG-13, please be sure it's just an article <laughs> clothing, uh, an object or photos. And then in a show and tell model, you can have each team member sh uh, show their object or whatever they brought. And then uh, others can solicit, they can solicit guesses from others about the significance of the object. And then the mm -hmm. team member can share a story about what that object means to them. And nice. it's easy, it's fun. It's also, that's also important because it engages those kinesthetic tactile learners, those learners who engage by touching things and doing things. Because mm -hmm. in the virtual world, you're just looking at a screen. So 70% of your people are probably more kinesthetic than they are visual. So this will help those learners too. And it's a lot of fun. I appreciate that you added that interactivity of it's not just you bring it and you talk about it, but you bring it other people um, talk and ask questions or share their thoughts about what it could mean. And then, and then you tell the story. Exactly. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you so much for talking with me today. I learned a lot. Thank you so much for inviting me, Mary. Thank you for listening to the Lead with a Dash of Play podcast. Reza Zaidi and Joanna Stevens created and provided the beautifully playful and reflective music you hear in this podcast. The song is titled Holding Rain. This podcast was created out of curiosity, and I hope you'll share your thoughts and questions with me. Email me at mary at maryhendra.com. Or join the conversation on LinkedIn, redefining play and reclaiming this leadership skill for its potential to bring authenticity and joy into our professional spaces. This has been playful and fun and interactive and experiential. <laughs> All the words. All the words. Folks. Excellent. Excellent.